On this episode, Data finds the dumb brother, Riker tries to get married, Picard finds out he has a clone, but not in a good way, Tom Hardy realizes that this ain't Black Hawk Down, and Worf does nothing. I'm Captain Awesome. And I'm the Triple Hippie. Welcome aboard, take a station, and find something to hold on to. There are no seatbelts on the bridge. Buddy, this is no seatbelts on the bridge. <laughs> this week we're going to be doing Star Trek 10 Nemesis because we have to. Um, <laughs> Damn our OCD. <laughs> uh, this is from uh, the, the, the year of our Lord 2002. Uh, it was a December movie. They finally figured out how to release one around Christmas ish. And this was kind of uh, this was kind of going out uh, with a bang that was a whimper, I guess. <laughs> they wanted to do a, a really good send off for the crew, just like they did for the old series. Except this time they decided to put coal in your stocking instead of a good present under the tree. And it is kind of funny because there are some elements it seems that they that they uh, almost tried to rip out of uh, Star Trek Six, the last one of the original crew which was a oh, good yeah. movie. Um, well, I, I think that's probably got to do with, there was lots of tropes, right? And yes, you know, Oh, that's a good one. We should use that. <laughs> the problem is, is that Star Trek fans, you know, they're not known for being detail oriented, but, uh, <laughs> 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 oh, wait, <laughs> you know so, what? This is, this is definitely one of those movies that desperately wanted to be a good movie and it really tried and it failed miserably. And it came, it seems like it came close. It seemed like it really came close and it yeah. just didn't quite pull it off. Now, the sad yeah. thing is mentioning the, um, Star Trek six. I mean, from, from the opening credits of this movie, it looks very much like Star Trek six. The, the opening credits are all spooky, blah, 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 blah. But, um, what they really tried to rip from Star Trek six was the director. Um, they did try to get Nicholas Meyer to direct this one. And unfortunately that didn't happen because he wanted to rewrite the script and the script was written by John Logan. Uh, John Logan uh, is the guy who wrote Gladiator. He wrote, he wrote uh, Skyfall on any given Sunday. So he's a guy who has some conies in Hollywood as far as his writing uh, skills. And uh, they promised him they would not monkey with the script. And that's why Nicholas Meyer did not direct this film. See, I just thought Rick Berman approached Nicholas Meyer and he was like, and who the hell are you? Because <laughs> I would after some of the things that he had been asked to do already. <laughs> Told you I lost your number. I meant it. <laughs> so yeah, this, the, the, the directing of this was just weird. I mean, <laughs> first of all, the, the and who knows what the actual truth of it is but the rumors are that both frakes and lavar burton both volunteered and were told no however one source did mention that frakes didn't really want to do it because he thought it would typecast him as a only as a star trek director and how awful that would have been you know we probably wouldn't have ended up with a thunderbirds movie if he had directed this one so wow dodged a bullet on that one you know what i really like the thunderbirds movie when they made it in the sixties with marionettes, <laughs> it was great. Now the one that he did, not so much. Have you seen it? Yes. It's terrible. Oh, oh, now, now I'm interested. I, I wasn't oh. interested before, but you said that now oh, it's real bad. Now I think I'm going to have to watch it. Listen, I love Frakes. I love almost everything he does. I'm currently binging through, uh, the leverage series. Oh, yeah. There's great stuff in there. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's campy as all get out, but I love it. <laughs> Thunderbirds? Nope. That's not a feather in the cap. So, in the end, they ended up having Stuart Baird direct this movie. Now, Stuart Baird directed two movies previous to this Executive Decision, um, the Kurt Douglas, Steven Seagal, uh, and U.S. Marshals, which had Wesley Snipes and Joe Pantaleona. Maybe Ooh, I, Joey I, Pants. I think he was in that one. 
Um, so we only had two other films before they had him direct this. And he was not a Star Trek fan. This is one of those instances where you're kind of wondering, why are you doing that? Um, and the excuse is always, we wanted a fresh look, but this, there was nothing fresh about this. No, that's listen, when it comes to directors, you bring in somebody for a sequel who knows and loves the property. Yes. The only reason they don't do it is because it's cheaper because they can tell somebody who doesn't understand the property. Hey, listen, this is how you're going to cheap out on this. So do it this way. And they go, Oh, okay. Well, I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> that's There's a no very transporter good effects. Point. I don't care. <laughs> that's a very good point because one of the uh, uh, articles I read said that they actually put $10 million less forward for this film than they did the previous one insurrection. And at the same time, almost a quarter of that was taken up just by Patrick Stewart. Yeah. He just came off of X-Men. Yes. Uh, that, that had to have boosted his, his uh, cost significantly. <laughs> Reports were he made more off of this movie than he made in all seven uh, seasons of the television show combined. Wow. And it can't fault the guy. I mean, you know. More out of Picard. (laughs) (laughs) The Uh, the odd thing is this is the first one that he actually serves as a producer on. And then it seems like they just gave that, from what I can tell, they just gave that to him to placate him because it doesn't seem like anything he wanted really ended up in there. Wow. Now, um, as, as you might be able to tell, we're not fans of this movie. Uh, <laughs> and it turns out not a whole lot of people are, it got a 38% on rotten tomatoes, Ouch. which don't get me wrong. Other Trek movies have gotten that low, but it's pretty rare. <laughs> uh, it's people just have spoken, <laughs> right? And unfortunately it is just one of those movies that did not let you off the hook. Every time you thought, Oh, they're done with that. Nope. They're not done with it yet. And the thing is, I can confidently confidently say that any of you who didn't like this movie aren't alone because I started to watch it on DVD with the director's commentary, and I had to shut off this the director's commentary about twenty minutes into it because Baird literally sounded like he resented being in there talking about the film. He sounded so incredibly bored of the film that he made that I, I couldn't even bear listening to it because it sounded like he was he was doing it begrudgingly, like they were poking with a stick just to say something into the microphone. Yeah, uh, that's that's never any fun. It's never a good sign either. But I mean, <laughs> judging by his history on this film, it makes a lot of sense. He clearly <laughs> didn't care. <laughs> now, um, as you were saying before, the opening sequence to this is reminiscent of other movies. My only problem is, is it's 2002, the the film or the 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 effect of the the uh title sequence like the title just like rises out of a space field <laughs> you know in in 1978 that was so cool this one looked like it was a crappy knockoff cd rom game from 1996 <laughs> it was so bad and some of the letters were backwards and it wasn't in a even remotely star trekky font it was just like huh did I put in the right movie or is this a <laughs> knockoff? I got off the street. It's real bad. Yeah. It's, it's again, they were trying to do something different and be a little edgy, but they instead just completely missed the mark altogether. Uh, yeah, exactly. They didn't run cast credits at the beginning. They, this is very much like, uh, uh um, now undiscover country. They did, run the cast credits this one they didn't but both movies do kick off with like some horrible tragedy happening to one of the federation's enemies yeah so we open on the romulan senate now let's be honest we've all known for years that romulus is supposed to be a stand-in for rome (laughs) their government is supposed to be very roman okay they are discussing remus the other planet. <laughs> now, I will concede that if you are an avid reader of the books, the comic book series, the uh, even the cartoon had a, a mention of it. There has been mention of Remus before, but it's always been like, ha ha ha, that writer thought he was funny. <laughs> <laughs> 
they wrote a movie about Remus. They wrote a movie about the concept that an alien race that we ran into somewhere in our galaxy just happened to have two planets named after the founders of Rome. <laughs> I think it happened. <laughs> oh, I hate this plot line so much. Like right off the bat, I'm like, oh, I'm going to hate this movie. <laughs> also i know we don't know the population of romulus but we think romulus actually if they're a star empire i mean they've got lots of people how many guys are in this senate this has to be a side committee room because this can't be said you don't have two dozen guys just saying around and like yeah we we rule half the galaxy i no 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 no. there's one thing we know about star trek all alien races live on a planet with one city that's roughly the size of <laughs> the smallest suburb in whatever town you grew up in. And then there's nothing else in the entire system. That's the way it works. Oh, and they're also ultra powerful uh, technologists as well. <laughs> the only thing it was missing is like hippies skipping through the fields and kids <laughs> using some weird toy. Ugh. Now, in some of the novels, just so you know, in in some of the novels, they actually talk about the fact that Romulus and Remus are actually just racist names that Federation came up for these people and they have their own, you know, their own names for themselves. But that goes into, you know, books and stuff. That's that's not canon. Mm hmm. Again, I, I recognize that that stuff's there. But as someone who watches TV and, and movies, no. Yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it seems kind of weak. Right. <laughs> so we, we look around the Roman Senate, they're arguing about the Remans. Um, and then we, we zoom in on the head of the council who is uh, Praetor Hiron or Hiron. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Uh, who's played by Alan Dale. He's you actually one of my favorites. Yeah, I'm a Hiron. Alan Dale was on 24 NCIS West Wing ER X-Files. Anytime you need a guy to, look like he might be rich and is kind of a jerk. That's your cue for Alan Dale. <laughs> and then my personal favorite, he was on Lost and he was amazing. Um, who do you play so, on yeah, Lost? A rich guy, kind of a jerk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and man, did he pull it off. <laughs> Incidentally, um, he is the, he is the father of uh, one of the characters, love interests. And uh, in one of the flashbacks, that character goes and has a, a whiskey with the father. And it's this made up bottle of whiskey that they had for the show. I actually printed out labels and put them on some <laughs> Macallan at one point so that I would have a bottle of their whiskey. And then it's, <laughs> wow, that's a dumb story. <laughs> I thought it was, I liked it. <laughs> I like that story. So the camera pans over and we see the lady Romulan to Laura. And Talor decides that after all the, uh, we start off and end the, the military is in arguing with the Praetor about, you know, you should do things our way. No, no, no. And just n- normal politics. And after the military walks out, uh, Lady Talora says, oh, I got to go do something. She leaves the room and her weird little purse. I've got to go powder my cranial ridges. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> so now, the, the I, I do have a problem with this though she gets up and leaves everybody who's at the the senator's table all look at this thing she's left on the counter and they're like <laughs> oh that's weird and nobody's <laughs> like that thing doesn't look like anything any of us has ever seen before and she just left it behind in the senate maybe that's not a good thing okay no, see, she just said like, she was going to powder her nose and that looks like her makeup kit that's the only yeah, thing I can figure that thing right? is <laughs> So it opens up and as you were saying, a, a green helix, I guess, starts emanating forth from it. Yeah. And boy, that it's not a great effect. Okay. Is it not a great effect in 2022 or is it not a great effect in 2002? I honestly remember thinking at the time it was not a great effect. <laughs> for 2002 even it was i should have hired ilm for this yeah it it was a little it was a little raw um 
Now, the now, funny thing is they were actually, this whole scene was supposed to be much longer. In fact, the entire movie is supposed to be almost an hour longer than what we actually see. If you can believe that. Oh, thank God. <laughs> but they actually, they actually had, there's a bunch of scenes that were written about the, uh, about the politics of Romulus and really dealing in the culture and stuff like that. But I, I kind of think after the star Wars prequels, somebody might've learned that science fiction movie centering on politics might not be the way to go. Um, right. There's only two of us that like that. And we're right here. <laughs> come on come on we really want more debate before they go pew pew (laughs) (laughs) so just to set the scene a little bit uh everybody who left went through the iron gate that separates this (laughs) chamber from the hallway outside there are guards standing outside the door and the senators are all sitting in there and and staring quizzically at the green thing rising up in the air. <laughs> That's weird. It then disperses <laughs> and rains down green particles on all of them. And they all sit perfectly still like, huh, that was weird. <laughs> I'm going to go with it like they're waiting for it to drop the beat, you know? <laughs> I swear to God, you, you set that thing off in the middle of the House of Representatives. Those people will lose their damn minds before <laughs> anything happens. They're going to be like, that guy's purse just made a noise. I'm leaving. <laughs> so the green stuff rains down on everybody and basically turns them all to, I don't know, rock, ash, something. Um, Weeping angels. Them. Now, when I just recently rewatched this, though, I was really intrigued by the acting in this particular scene because the Romulan senators are all their bodies being consumed by something. But when you really look at it, especially if you have the sound off, the acting looks as if the director told them, "Okay, imagine you're a teenage girl in 1962 and you've seen the Beatles (laughs) for the first time. (laughs) It, it was a, a little like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. Now, but, as I said before, metal gate separating this room <laughs> from the next. The guards outside are like, huh, that's weird. They, You can see them looking through the gate. They're like, oh, weird. And the guy, the, the head senator, Praetor Hiron, shouts, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh let's see. He says, Lady Talora, and then he dies. And the guards just stand there. <laughs> I don't believe nobody heard him shouting, That's the person who did this. Go get her. She's clearly a terrorist. <laughs> Why do you think she was yelling her name? Uh, they probably had something going on, right? Exactly. <laughs> Man, these guys and their parties. But, but you do also make a good point for something that Beverly later in the movie will say a teaspoon of this could wipe out everybody on the enterprise. Well, a bunch mm-hmm. of it just rained down inside the Senate with, of course, a gate that is separating <laughs> them from the rest of the building and everyone seems fine. Right. You know, there's, <laughs> there's some air conditioning technician who's like, what's all this green stuff coming out of <laughs> I don't know. Well, you better get that off of your coveralls. <laughs> So we head on over to the wedding scene. Oh, uh, no, we have to? Where are we? Out in the middle of somewhere. Out in the middle of somewhere. Is it a holodeck? It, it wasn't really be. clear where they were at. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they were outside Picard or it zooms in on Picard and he's, he's telling a story cause he's Picard. So he <laughs> and the a story toast. revolves around him. Well, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, do you see these pips on my collar? These pips say, I get to talk about me. (laughs) (laughs) So I do do like that we get a very famous line here. Shut up, Data. (laughs) (laughs) Which, let's be honest, we've been wanting to say that for a couple movies now. Yes, Data and Picard uh, have to uh, rekindle their Abbott and Costello uh, a bit for people. (laughs) Okay, so here's the thing, though. Okay, 
Riker's getting married and he's leaving to go take command of the Titan. Now, after the number of times that they have quote unquote pulled out the big chair for William Riker and he never sat down, I really wonder, I want to see the movie about what it was that finally made him, you know what? I can't do this anymore. (laughs) We we already saw it. It was called insurrection. (laughs) Picard put on his civilian clothes to, to go fight F Murray Abraham. And when he did, Riker and Jordy were the only ones who stayed back on the bridge. And I'm pretty sure that's when Riker was like, you know what? If I've told that dude once, I've told him a thousand times. Don't leave the ship. I'm done. I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. You know what I had to do last time? I had to eject the goddamn core. I am not waiting around for him to crash this ship again. (laughs) Little would he know. Now, the, the reality is, is that they, they put this in here because they knew that in about 10 years or so, he was going to need to be on the Titan for uh, below decks <laughs> or lower decks. I, I have to say, I'm a big fan of lower decks Riker. Oh, yeah. He's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this whole wedding scene, this, I'm not sure what the idea idea behind this was i guess the solidifying the uh, theme of family but uh yeah well we get to see wesley in the background so you know he shows back up i think there actually was a point to this i think at this point when they were filming this scene they were still in talks of doing a sequel and i think that frakes wanted out and that spiner was going to take over his first officer and that at this point they hadn't decided they were going to kill off data oops spoiler (laughs) <laughs> and uh because of that i think they were setting this up to be the handoff and like we're going to spend the rest of the plot of the movie doing whatever and riker's going to leave at the end big sappy ending he's getting married blah 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 and we're setting it up so that data is going to be the new first officer that's my guess yeah i could i could definitely see that there are some weird choices made and we'll get back to the to days death cuz there's some weird choices made in this movie there's a there's a First of all, just want to point out, there's a lot of things that Rick Berman wanted in the last movie, in mm-hmm. this movie, which I find very interesting. There are a, there are three things I can think of that he really wanted in the last movie. He got overridden, and this time he got them for better. I'm fairly certain worse. that Rick Berman, to this day, has a notebook that says, ideas I'm going to put in a movie because nobody let me do it in the last Star Trek <laughs> Hey, I have one of those. All right. <laughs> so yeah, they tried to make this wedding. Um, first of all, this scene was supposed to be much long, longer and they attempted to bring in some nostalgia from it. They were trying to bring in um, Ashley Judd for a cameo in this particular okay. scene. Um, they, I would have been okay with that. Um, I, they, I do love me some Robin Leffler. There were, there was a, uh, there was a rumor that Michelle Forbes was in the scene, but that is not the case. No, um, I'm pretty sure she flipped him the finger when she left that show. <laughs> um, and then there was the whole attempt to bring Jerry Ryan in for a cameo, which puzzled Jerry Ryan more than anyone <gasps> saying that my character has absolutely no connection with these characters whatsoever. Why would I be there? And apparently she had to say that multiple times though. Yes. Yes. So she was getting ready to do Boston legal or she had just started Boston legal. Yes. Yeah. So and her she sc- was also really busy and it really didn't make a lot of sense for her to try to do the movie anyway. Um, but then also he was like, you know, you're going to be talking to the people on the ship. And she's like, Why? What what would my character have anything to do with this? (laughs) Now there's the other aspect of the Jerry Ryan situation that we should bring up as well, which is a story regarding Marina Sirtis's uh, contract discussions with Paramount for this movie. Uh, Reportedly they were lowballing her and she was holding out and she was telling them, I'm not doing all of this for the amount of money that you're offering me. And they tried to pressure her and eventually they decided to tell her, well, if you don't do it, we're just going to give it to Jerry Ryan to which Marina Sirius laughed at them and said, Jerry Ryan isn't doing it for that much money. 
Yeah, so was back may not movies, like though. the fact that she gets exploited on every episode of every show, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that she knows how to get paid for that exploitation. <laughs> nah, the whole mm. thing just stunk of Berman wanted to get the cat suit on screen because <laughs> he thought that would put butts in seats. And don't get me wrong, Star Trek fans, we're not known for being super discerning, but we still don't necessarily fall for that. Well, there comes a point of pandering. Right. Um, the the other thing that, that kind of bugged me about that situation is Jerry Ryan brought it up. So he when he couldn't get her to be on the mo- in the movie, he asked her to do a cameo. And her point was, again, my character doesn't know any of these people. Yeah. Why would she be at the wedding? <laughs> to which I have to say, honestly, Worf's in the same boat. What the hell's he doing there? He's at the <laughs> wedding for no reason whatsoever. Other, I mean, don't get me wrong. They're his friends and all, but like he, he left his post on the other side of the galaxy to come to this wedding. I don't think so. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm also a little disappointed in this opening scene with Worf because he's supposedly hung over and, as a huge Deep Space Nine fan, I'd like to point out this guy was married to Judzia Dax. I I think he probably could hold his liquor, right? You know, um, but it was more of the cute Worf bit. You know, oh look, Worf was so cute. You know, this is a Berman thing again. He does this a lot. I'm I'm a fellow larger man. I'm not a small guy, but there is something about people love making fun of big guys and making us feel like we're silly and making us look silly. Yes. They just love it. And Berman, man, that is his type of comedy. Anytime he could take a big guy and make him look silly. He loved it. And the thing is, I think they did it too much with Worf because Mm -hmm. they overdid it with him because we rarely got to see Worf really actually be the big kick-ass guy. That was a very rare they did this amazing arc with him where they made him a, a symbol of Klingon pride. They made him this fantastic warrior and diplomat. They showed the power that he could have just by sticking to his morals and sticking to the, the honor system of the Klingon empire. Absolutely amazing arc. Then after that, he became comic relief for the rest of his career (laughs) and and two different shows and and all the movies. And I just don't understand why he was such a a great character. No. Yeah. I think they just, I went, I think they went to that. Well, one too many times, Mm -hmm. a few too many times, many too many times. (laughs) Incidentally, the one thing they did get right is that by this point he's become a diplomat. And he's wearing the House of Martok symbol on his sash uh, instead that's, of the yes. House of Moog. I thought that was a pretty cool little add-in. Yeah. It, so it, another scene that was cut from the movie was supposed to be explained why he was there. And the only answer he gives is, I found I wasn't cut out for diplomatic work. Yeah, but it's supposed to be like he's drunk and saying it between hiccups too. Like, Oh, really? Oh, that yeah. part I didn't see. Yeah, it's supposed to be that he's really drunk and is like, I was not a very good diplomat. Like, come on. <laughs> I, I just hate that they minimize that character so badly. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, it it it's a joke if you do it and and it takes away from the, the usual thing, but it just became the usual thing. Right. Speaking of unnecessary jokes, Guinan's there. <laughs> Uh, now it makes perfect sense for Guinan to be there. She probably still works on the enterprise. She's never left. Um, and was it Wesley who turned to her and said, or no, it was, uh, 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 Jordy, Jordy. Yeah. Jordy turned to her and says, are you ever going to get married? She's like, I've done it 23 times. Not interested. <laughs> now, all I can say to that is that lady from the immortal planet, <laughs> she should take a tip from Guinan. Clearly, <laughs> you don't you don't have to stay married forever when you're you know near uh, immortal. But you keep them around yeah. for a couple hundred years, dump them, right? <laughs> and then, uh, then we get to, well. First of all, the band strikes up, and it's and the first thing I thought of is like the band sounds like they're the cover band for the Cantina Band in Star Wars. 
right? It's the exact same. Like you're using almost the exact, it's not the same song, but you're using almost the exact same instrumentation. And, uh, I found this holodeck program. Uh, <laughs> you wouldn't know it. It's from a galaxy far, far away. I, I don't know. <laughs> it was, I'll just say it was less than inspired. <laughs> well, then data's got to give his wedding gift. Yeah. Which first off, this is just a schmuck move, no matter who you are. <laughs> Deciding that your gift to someone is a song. <laughs> no, nobody wants that. This is why you eloped, wasn't it? Because you knew what I was going to do, you guys. <laughs> yep, that's it. I knew it. God. <laughs> uh, so we start out, and we start out with Dave being extremely progressive as he addresses the crowd, ladies, gentlemen, transgendered species. So. We fit that mm. in. See, Star Trek well ahead of its time. There you go. Um, but yes, Data has to do something cute one last time. And all I can think of is when I see him break into song and start to sing Irving Berlin, I thought that is horrible. But at the same time, thank God they did not try to get him to rap. Right. Exactly. Because it was 2002. It was Stuart Baird. I can't. I. I I have to believe that that was somewhere in a discussion somewhere. You don't want uh, data to get turned into uh, star Trek's Poochie. <laughs> <laughs> hey kids, how's it going? <clears throat> Throwing his backwards hat and his sunglasses. But yes, so, data sings us out. Blue skies. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> this, I hate it so much. <laughs> This whole scene. Now, at least the rest of the crew had the good sense to look at this like it was really bad. Because it was. Yes. I I feel bad because Brent Spiner actually is not that bad a singer. It's just that every time they give him the opportunity, it's such an awkward way of doing it. Yes. That it comes across poorly. It, it's it, I would use the word forced. Yeah. I thought they did. I do think they did better with Jerry Ryan when she sang in Voyager. They did find reasons and ways for her to sing. That, that is a true. Little less uh, contrived. Yeah, I, I, I think so. they got a little bit better with just how to set the scene for holodeck stuff once they got on Voyager. True. True. I think TNG. It was still a new enough concept that they were still having trouble with it, and Voyager really figured it out. Which makes sense because they had lots of time to spend in. Right. <laughs> now, so this, we is had another, to... um, this is another one where there's a huge scene cut out here. There's a huge scene of uh, Data and Picard going off separately and having an entire uh, talk about loyalty and family and kind of setting up the themes of the movie. All of that Whoa. doesn't exist. That's okay. I don't, I don't need Picard giving a speech to Billy. I hate those. <laughs> Where are you, you ever seen a grown man naked? <laughs> <laughs> so after the wedding, we see the valiant crew on the enterprise E, which looks like a giant flying spoon. It does. <laughs> but it's a it's a snappy looking spoon. I mean, look at those nacelles. They're swept back. Why do it's they crazy. have to be so long? Because that makes them faster. I don't know. Yeah, it, <laughs> Didn't you see the speed holes down the side? <laughs> it wasn't that much faster than the D. I never did understand. Man, why why do you have this to have the Enterprise E? It's the Enterprise R type. <laughs> <laughs> so they also have all the the triangular stuff everywhere. <laughs> Now I might have mentioned this before in the last episode, but something always strikes me about the uh, Enterprise E's triangular surfaces. There is an episode of the comedy show The Office where they are trying to sell these pads that their company has developed, and instead of being rectangles, they're all triangular. The pyramid. Exactly. We harness oh, yeah. the power of the pyramid. <laughs> I can't help but think that one of the writers for The Office was a Star Trek fan and felt the same way we do about the bridge of the Enterprise right. E. When all else fails, make a triangle and freak everybody out. <laughs> so they're just chit-chatting on the bridge and 
Riker's like, yeah, yeah. When, when we have the wedding, we're going to have to be naked. No clothes. <laughs> Gross. Because <laughs> now, now in my head, you know what I have in my head? Huh? I, I have Riker naked in my head. That's not okay. <laughs> I, and I couldn't help but think, you know, does Mr. Mott do manscaping? And yeah, that's... <laughs> You know, Picard's like, give me the high and tight. <laughs> I, I just assumed this was a nod to Roddenberry. Can we throw in something about nudity in there? Just, just right. for Gene. You know, you know, there's there's an alien species that when they get married, they're naked. <laughs> Thanks, Gene. We, we told you not to come in here anymore. My wife's going to play one of those people. Okay. Thanks, Gene. Gene. All right. <laughs> Hey, we could all use coffee, Gene. Could you right. could you get us coffee? <laughs> now, incidentally, this is the perfect movie for Loaxana Troy to be around. And she's not because True. Uh, she was off filming uh, Andromeda, which was also another Roddenberry project that he couldn't get off the ground while he was alive. And she managed to she get managed it done. She managed to do it. And it ran for what, like nine years or something? That long, really? That was the Sorbo one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's he's rather disappointing, too. <laughs> I enjoyed it when he just disappointed us with his acting. Right? <laughs> uh, no, I'm sorry, five years. It was 2000 to 2005. <laughs> no way. I didn't know that. What's that? Uh, it started Lisa Ryder. I was not aware of that. Uh. Anyway. Uh, that's not the movie or not the show we're talking about because <laughs> I've never watched it. I, I've never watched that one. I don't know why. Anyway, so they're on the bridge and all of a sudden something happens. We've got a random signature, a positronic signature <laughs> somewhere in the galaxy. Okay. Again, I have questions. The last movie, they were trying to find data. They were above a planet. They knew exactly where Data had been <laughs> and they couldn't find him in the ship when he was like right on top of them. Now they can detect a Data style brain on the other side of the freaking galaxy. They're just like, oh, look at that. Passive scanning. Just found that guy. <laughs> really? <clears throat> it's because in the last movie, they missed the, the big button that says scan for positronic signature. <laughs> Find datas. <laughs> Last movie, they were like, we're never losing data again. Let's put in a passive data scan. So at least by telling us, okay, there's something weird on this planet. We're going to have to go there and we establish this planet is close to the Romulan neutral zone. So as this will set up, this will push back against the normal trope of you're the only ship in the area they actually give a reason for them being someplace which it's is unique in a star trek movie <laughs> there's an actually reason like, for you to be someplace the enterprise <laughs> is the only ship in the galaxy <laughs> <laughs> or it was just the ship that had all the overachievers that everybody else hated so he's like i don't know let the enterprise do it the Enterprise is full of jerks and phone sanitizers. Send them. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's got every Bolian in the galaxy hairdresser. Join Starfleet and get a new haircut. Okay. Little aside. I just found a YouTube video called Too Many Bolians. And it is straight up. Somebody went and looked at TNG and noticed that all the barbers on TNG are Bolian except for one. There are five barbers in the, in the entire series and four of them are Bolians. Only one of them is Mr. Mott. And then there's two other guys are supposed to look like. Yes. Him. I saw the two other guys too. Yeah. Just yeah. recently. And then there's another guy who's a Bolian who looks nothing like him. And then there's one human. So the person who made the video was of course begging the question, what is it about Bolians that makes them such good hairdressers? <laughs> and again, I go back to the theory. What did the Bolians do? Cause they're always in the service sector. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what it is, 
but they're they're never in command. They never have any. They're never like ensigns. They never have anything remotely resembling a good job at Starfleet. <laughs> They've always got the job that's like, well, I mean, I guess it's okay. <laughs> Gotta love the bullions. Speaking of Barb is just a weird thing. Um, somebody pointed out in the last season of Picard when he is standing in front of uh, Ten Forward with Guinan. And the shot is from the bar looking out to them. Behind them is a Floyd's barbershop, which uh, Kirk and Edith Keeler walked by Floyd's barbershop right before she was killed. I did read that. Yeah. And it's, is it, uh, it's actually the Andy Griffith Floyd's barbershop, isn't it? I was wondering about that. No, I think it is that, that when Kirk walked past it, it was actually the one from the, the show. Oh, okay. That would make sense. I'm going to have to look that one up. I, I think that's right. It could be that I'm making it up too. But you'll never Hey, if you're going to make up anything, make up the good things about Floyd. So right. yeah, I have nothing. To, I have no problem with that at all. It's so, a It's canon. It, that, that's the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> so then our creepy music starts up. Yeah, we'll say Jerry Goldsmith does a good job. The music on this movie actually is pretty darn good. Honestly, he, he did a pretty good job despite the movie being kind of a dumpster fire. The music was actually really quite good. Fortunately, this was Jerry Goldsmith's last movie. Yes. Um, he, uh, however, did the movie for, or did the music for the motion picture, number one, and he did the music for this movie. So his career was pretty well bookended by doing Star Trek movies, and he bookended the Star Trek movies. So, uh, you know what? He could have put in a polka, and I would have been totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, Jordy's on the, on the bridge and I was watching really closely cause he kept looking up and looking down and looking up and looking down. I'm like, no, he's got his bionic eyes again. And I, I gotta wonder what happened after he left the briar patch. Like, did they shrivel up and fall out <laughs> and then they had to give him bionic eyes again? Like <laughs> what happened? Cause again, Jordy was not, or Jordy was born blind. He has never had good eyes. My, so when my guess is that he went to the doctor and said, okay, you know what? I saw that sunset. Not all is cracked up to be. You want to pop these suckers out and put my old, my, my bionic peepers back in. Listen, I could see in seven spectrums before. <laughs> I want to see that again. It's way prettier than your stupid sunset. Say, yeah. This, this low spectrum thing just ain't, ain't working for me. I finally just saw my girlfriend with real eyes. <laughs> Give me the old ones. All right. And that was no, very sexist. I'm sorry. And I can no longer see all the awful, awful germs and how dirty everyone's part. Right. <laughs> now I just guess at everything. Ew. <laughs> Do you know what you people eat? Oh. <laughs> um, and of course, Data's looking, or Data, uh, Jordy's looking at the screen. He's like, hey, Data, you think that's your long lost relative? Ha ha ha. What? That's not even a good joke. <laughs> Dude is kind of like, oh God, I hope not. Right. <laughs> you know, every time we find one of my relatives, it doesn't go well for yeah, you humans. It doesn't go real great. <laughs> so speaking of which, they go to Kolaris 3 where they found the signal. And of course, we can't beam down because there's a storm brewing, an ion storm brewing just over there. So no transporters can be used in this particular case. Yeah. So Picard's like, hey, they've got, there we have this new space shuttle that I want to go drive. It's going to be <laughs> awesome. Let's let's use that shuttle. I want to use that one. The now, Argo. Do they not establish that this is a pre-warp civilization on this planet? Don't they actually say pre-warp, pre-industrial? That's, yeah. Which obviously they're industrial because they have things, but they... Just the fact that you say pre-war pretty much tells mm-hmm. you you can't go down there. Exactly. Or if you go down there, you have to use duck blind. <laughs> 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 Which we know is foolproof. <laughs> They're like, well, we should set up the duck blind. Data's like, nope. Uh-uh. I'm sure right. it won't happen again. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, I, I'm really confused by that, that we just like, oh, well, you know what? We're just going to go down there and we're going to take a shuttle. We're not even going to beam down to be sneaky. We're just going to take a shuttle down there. 
And then, well, they can't beam down because you know there's a storm. <laughs> they can they can beam at warp, but they can't beam through a storm. <laughs> so, so they take the shuttle down, and I just want to point out how loud is this stupid shuttle? I mean, back when Kirk was around, shuttles were pretty darn quiet, and this thing sounds like a it sounds like a garbage truck in a car wash. Well, in all fairness. It wasn't loud, but Picard wanted to go fast, so he asked them to turn on the uh, the sound effects. I mean, half of that is him going. <laughs> and, <laughs> he keeps shouting, "Fast and furious! Fast and furious!" <laughs> yes, and we get to see the Argo, the Argo, which kind of confused me that it's a Doom buggy with tires. So we're still using well, tires. Why would you use anti-grav when everything in the universe has anti-grav or artificial gravity? Like, why? <laughs> I, what, I, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, I was really confused. Luke Skywalker's watching this. this going, really? Tired? <laughs> <laughs> hmm, how quaint. <laughs> He's like, dude, it's 1977. Trust me, you're not going to want tires. <laughs> So the vehicle that, uh, that they end up driving this, the thing that cracks me up actually is that I've seen this vehicle before and I'm pretty sure it's in, um, one of the Tom Clancy games and me and my girlfriend like drive around and shoot people <laughs> in it. Um, it's, nice. It's, <laughs> but the Argo, the dune buggy that Patty Stu, Captain Picard drives around is a, uh, was actually built by Ivan Stewart. Um, no relation. Um, the, uh, Iron Man, Ivan Stewart of the, uh, of like the dirt bike uh, tours and uh, he built it and uh, gave it to Patrick Stewart as a gift after, after the shooting and Patrick Stewart. Back of a gift. Yeah. Especially after the guy just got a quarter of the movie's budget for pay. (laughs) Jeez. And a new car. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I totally forgot before they left the ship. uh, uh, Picard looks through the, the elevator doorway and says, uh, that he'll he'll see them soon and blah blah blah. Take care of the bridge, whatever. Uh, Mister Troy, you have the bridge, and this joke falls so flat it's not <laughs> even funny. <laughs> yes, that's right. Riker's marrying Troy. Congratulations, <laughs> you misogynist bastard. <laughs> I <laughs> the look on Riker's face, like oh my god. Did you just make just, an assumption that I would take my wife's name? Oh my God. And the whole crew on the bridge stops what they're doing and is staring at him like, oh, he's going to get so mad. Come on. You know, Ugh. before I leave, I write all of your performance reviews. So <laughs> yeah, think about exactly. that. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Listen, there was an entire episode of the TV show about me writing performance reviews. Trust me, I do that. You know what? Incidentally, one of my favorite episodes, watching all of them discuss performance review time. When I was a kid, I didn't like it. Now that I'm in management, oh, it's hilarious. No, it really speaks to me. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because I feel the same way every time on the TV series when they go into a meeting, into the meeting room, the big conference room, and I can't help but think before sitting there, this could have easily been covered in an email. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we are surrounded by screens everywhere. You could have written this down. (laughs) All right. So we're on the surface of Catella 3. And our good buddy Patrick, or excuse me, Picard is driving his crazy no windshield dune buggy. Why no windshield? Right? Like they still have bugs. (laughs) 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 And you can see it. It's, it's really funny. Like you, you watch this scene and you've got Michael Dorn sitting in the back, clearly uncomfortable beyond belief. Good Lord. Yes. His seat looks like it was built just to barely fit him in there. Yes. Patrick Stewart is having the time of his life. <laughs> and Brent Spiner, well, <laughs> he doesn't look fun. I like he's having fun. Like, he looks, even for an Android, he looks very uncomfortable. <laughs> right? I don't know. Yeah, he said he wasn't. He said he was not a fan of the shooting for these particular days because uh, 
Patrick Stewart does like to drive fast and kept on driving faster and faster and kicking up rocks. And yeah, Spiner said he was pretty glad when this was done. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, he's never liked any of the good stuff, right? He doesn't like high, stu- <laughs> high stuff. He doesn't like going fast. Fred Spiner's not a real fan of, of a lot of the thrill seeking stuff. <laughs> so they they get out their tricorders and they scan the area and they decide when it's time to stop and as soon as they stop the car and get out the tricorders don't work anymore for some reason (laughs) i I don't know it's uh, they have to pull the yield you know pick up your visual scanning you know look around (laughs) (laughs) and then uh so wharf is walking around and a hand just comes out of the ground and starts to feel up his ankle okay Am I the only one who was like Dawn of the Dead? I, 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 it was so awesome. I was like, I don't remember zombies. <laughs> I was thinking, it's like, hey, it from Adam's family. I'm so glad that guy's still getting work. <laughs> right. Or Thing. Thing from Adam's family. Thing. Thank you. Yeah, Cousin It was the one with the long hair. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So yeah, or so should have turned around and been like, "Data, that is not funny." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we he just have Android just laying around. I love that Worf picks up the arm, but Data's like, "It is a robotic arm." <laughs> Worf's like, "You think?" <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to know where I'd like to put it right now? <laughs> it is not bleeding. <laughs> Yeah, they so uh, of course everyone's just like, oh, there is an arm. Let's go find all the other pieces because of course there will be an entire <laughs> android here since we found a dismembered arm. Because <laughs> that's the way that the galaxy works. I will say they managed to gross me out with robot parts because when they found the torso, they picked it up and he threw it into the trunk. <laughs> yeah, that's gunk. <laughs> well, no, it was it was clearly made out of partially. Um, ballistics gel yes because when he threw it in there the whole thing kind of wiggled like like old meat (laughs) i just kept hoping that you know when he found it it wasn't fully functional (laughs) (laughs) so eventually walking around we find the head of this android and the head looks just like data and stamped on the side says not from 1899 (laughs) Which, yes, again, after after finding Data's under, head under San Francisco, we start to worry about Data's head pollution all over the galaxy. <laughs> How much of this is there? Do we need to be concerned? I'm telling you, if anybody from Lower Decks listens to this show, please, please, please let there be an episode where they open a random closet and it's full of Data heads. <laughs> I, I need this to happen. <laughs> It'd be the the old uh, soccer ball trick of trying to close the door and keep them all inside. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now this was a bit odd. This particular thing you've seen the head and its data because Spiner had already sp- suggested to the studio. Listen, I'm getting older and older. Data isn't going to be allowed to look older. So what we need to do is we need to find a way for data's consciousness to be put into a new Android body, which we can do for a younger actor. And that actor can carry on data because I don't want to do this anymore. That would have made so much more sense. This is a great idea. So what we'll do is we'll make the new, the new robot you. And they're like, he's like, no, that's, that's not the idea at all. The idea is that it would be somebody else. No, no, it'd be better if it'll be you. No, that's, that's the opposite of the idea. You kill me and you have the, and it just seemed like somebody really didn't understand what he was trying to tell them. <laughs> yeah. Either that or every time he said that they were like, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And then his agent came in after he left and was like, no, <laughs> you're going to pay him to do it. And you're going to pay him extra to get his face molded. <laughs> and I'm going to take 15%. <laughs> All we got to do is sit back and wait until CGI gets a little bit better. All right. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's about this time. It was about that time. The Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> um, it was about that time that uh, a whole bunch of other dune buggies showed up. With guys shooting guns at them. 
It looks like the Starfleet boys are in trouble again. <laughs> okay, so Kids yes. today, they just won't get that joke. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, here we go. We have these guys driving at you from a pre-warp, <laughs> pre-warp civilization. And what do we do? Let's start shooting at them. Absolutely. I mean, we don't have transporters. <laughs> now, I have questions. So they're in a dune buggy. Said dune buggy has about, I don't know, a two foot by maybe three foot trunk that they have just filled with Android body parts. <laughs> so we know it's a one body trunk because we saw it. And as soon as people start shooting at them, suddenly that trunk has a shield and a, a big rear mounted machine gun or I guess phaser thing but it's a two-handed <laughs> rifle looking dealy hanging off the back of it. It's basically an anti-personnel weapon. Yes. And it's, and Worf is now able to turn around and use that to start firing at the pre-industrial <laughs> dune buggies firing machine guns. Also, why does Starfleet need anti-personnel dune buggies? <laughs> And why are they on the Enterprise, the scientific vessel? Remember when we used to be explorers? Right? Now now we're a bunch of punks who drive through people's neighborhoods shooting stuff up. The only thing I can figure is that Playmates was like, listen, we've got all three of these characters already made. Now we need a dune buggy for them to drive around in. Because we're really not good at making spaceships. <laughs> All I can tell some you some playmates is- exec right now is like, wait a minute, we make spaceships <laughs> just fine. And yes, that's exactly what we were doing. <laughs> All I can tell you is these G.I. Joe vehicle toys did not make it for shipment for this coming Christmas. So Right. <laughs> playmates to the rescue. <laughs> So, uh, data starts talking to the disembodied head that's in his lap. That's not weird. (laughs) Not creepy, not weird. Right. And he's in the middle of a a driving gunfight when he does it. That's fine. (laughs) Because once again, data has to be cute. And now we have a second Android head to be cute as well. Right. They start knocking on each other's walls going, Mogwai? Mogwai? (laughs) That's right, kiddos. You don't get that one either. (laughs) (laughs) So, so then we decide the easiest way for us to get out of here is to, for some reason, place the shuttlecraft off, off the side of a cliff and then jump the vehicle into the shuttlecraft. Yeah, Yeah. That makes sense. Totally. First off, data's got a remote control the ship. Right now, again, walking computer, he's got to, for some reason, use an interface. He can't just like talk to the ship. I don't get that still. And and the thing is, it's a separate interface. It's not even a tricorder. It's like you can't do, you have a separate interface for everything. He's got remote start. It's, it's, it's Ah, that's, that's, that's good. There you go. Uh, (laughs) In the 24th century, remote start also includes piloting ability. Now, at least Steve Jobs and Johnny Ivy were right. Uh, the click wheel's real cool. Even in the 24th century, he's using a little rotating click wheel to steer the ship. But yeah, yeah you're just, right. Like they, so they they park the ship like what? Like, I don't know, 30 feet off of a cliff yes. so that they have to do this running jump to get into it. Why didn't they just park the thing? Like, even if you're going to use the cliff, park it at the cliff. Yeah. So that you drive in. <laughs> But no, they're like, this. we have to be dramatic. Data's like, excuse me, sir. I, I remember your drama lessons. <laughs> Should I make this a dramatic escape? <laughs> yes, Data, make it a dramatic escape. I want to jump this sucker. <laughs> right? <laughs> so they jump it. It lands smack dab in the back of the shuttlecraft and they escape. And fly up in the air with a pre-warp society going, what the hell was that? Right. And they were worshipped from that day forward. 
I, I want to, this is an episode discovery. I want to see what, what happened to these people and where are they now? Right. Exactly. I want Picard to go back there because <laughs> he needs to find a chip that fell out of B4. Oh, I'm writing season three right now. There we go. He needs to find a chip that fell out of B4. So he goes back to Catalyst three or whatever it's called. Catala three. And, and he finds out he finds out the entire society now is uh, based itself on doom buggies and uh, and dangerous things. Ev- everywhere he goes, he's surrounded by statues of data. <laughs> yeah, and they have a song that they sing about him. It'll be great. Anyway, this so they get back to the itself. Enterprise. <laughs> and after they get to the Enterprise, uh, <laughs> they uh, they they start trying to figure out what's up with him. So they do the one thing you have to do when you mess with data's head, you mount it on a console of some sort. You have to do that every time. It doesn't work unless you do it that way. (laughs) Disembodied heads talk. That's true. (laughs) I guess it's better than shoulder shape. Don't worry about it. Why does it have a chair that slides out the back? Don't worry about it. You know, you can't get these on any other ship, you know, it's just the one with androids <laughs> on it. <laughs> the, real, the real crazy thing is, is they actually have an interface that mounts to the neck. <laughs> actually, that's a coffee maker interface. We had to modify it. I don't so, know why yeah, Wolf we... was telling that story, but it was. <laughs> anyway, sorry. So we find out that uh, B4 is sort of a uh, data prototype which for those of you who don't know, prototype is basically what Apple calls first market release items. Yeah. But it's, it's, they're finding data here. They're finding data in the past. Just kind of seems like there's just data's laying around. Here are data, there are data, everywhere are data, data. <laughs> now, incidentally, uh, B4 the Android, who is data's predecessor, uh, hence the really kitschy B4 title. <laughs> Uh, he apparently was actually supposed to be called B9 and literally as in benign. (laughs) He's just not that impressive (laughs) on so many levels. (laughs) Yeah. But apparently they, at the last minute they decided to change him to B4. Apparently the writers thought they were hilarious. (laughs) I know what that's like. (laughs) The difference is I'm actually funny. So yeah, we get to learn that B4 is actually a complete idiot. So now we not only have cute data, we have stupid data as well. And stupid data need the most care. So, and so of course, what does the captain say as he leaves? Put them back together. Yeah, because the last time we put together one of these <laughs> random data's we found, nothing wrong, nothing bad ever happened. I mean. <laughs> It did conspire with the Borg to kill the entire universe, but hey, that's fine. <laughs> it's, it won't all it happened that. once. It happened once. Listen, One time. We put together data. He turned out okay. We put together lore. He didn't. T- it's 50, 50. Come on. You screw mm-hmm. one goat. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> And now so, we give, oh yes, go ahead. Ah, so they, they put him back together and, uh, as he leaves, he decides he's got to make a phone call. <laughs> so he's going to call the only person he can, which is his friendly neighborhood Admiral. Catherine Janeway. Is it, I, I don't understand this. Catherine Janeway was supposed to be such a huge fan of James T. Kirk and she failed to avoid his one big mistake. She became an admiral. I'm so thankful they. I, I'm so thankful they they sent Cisco off to another dimension before making him an admiral. It just seems like yeah. that's that's what they do to everybody. We miss you, Ben. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, no, it's I, it's absolutely true. But uh, hey, at least you know we got to use another trope that has been used in other movies again. <laughs> so the. Uh, what, what, how would you put this? The, the, the blah, 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 blah. <laughs> how would you like to represent us? 
yes. talk to the bad guys. Yeah. So once again, calling on a, on a theme from Star Trek six. Um, and so Catherine tells him, Hey, you know, you want to go now? And, and honestly, I really wish this would have been Ronnie Cox rather than nothing against Kate Mulgrew, but I, I'm a big, you know, Edward Jellicoe fan. I thought it would have been fun to see, to see Edward Jellicoe not ask John Luke if he wanted to go basically tell him, you know, guess what? Listen, John Luke, you're going, you're going to go to Romulus and you're going to take care of the situation. Because if you don't, I'm going to come out there and I'm going to break my foot off. Get it done, John Luke. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this is probably a good spot for us to break. Uh, the we are on the precipice of the mission beginning. Um, we've talked to way too long. What's that? <laughs> so we're going to Romulus. <laughs> I we didn't say that yet. Oh my goodness! Don't give away the secret. <laughs> so we've talked too long. So we'll have to uh, stop right here, and we'll uh, talk about the rest next time. We'll so see. You thank then. you all for joining us. Adios, and see you soon. Uh, I would like to take a moment to say thank you to our friends over at five year mission for the use of their song beam down as our intro and outro. Uh, please make sure you head on over to five year mission.net. Uh, you will find a song for every episode of the old series broken up into albums representing each season. That's amazing. Uh, That's great stuff. And you can also find them on Apple music. Uh, look for five year mission. Uh, That's it for us. Thank you, everyone. And we'll talk to you next time. See you then. Bye.